Hello and welcome to the United Mates Football Podcast. Um, it's time for another match recap. Uh, my name is Joe and of, of course I'm joined by my co-host Kaitel. And we've also got a guest with us to discuss West Ham's, um, well for our guest anyway, our unfortunate 3-1 defeat against Liverpool. Um, our guest today is James Jones. James is the co-founder of the We Are West Ham podcast. James, it's a pleasure to have you. I imagine you're not feeling that great, but you had a good weekend aside? No, no, thanks for having me, guys. It's, it's been a good weekend, apart from maybe what the last hour and a half, two hours. Uh, not not totally unexpected, but um, yeah, we move on. Exactly. Yeah. Well, hi, James. Kai here. Good to have you with us. Um, we typically like to kick off our podcast with an icebreaker when we have guests. And I've been looking at your Twitter account and I saw a tweet that you must have posted back in May about encountering Bobby Zamora at Starbucks, to which someone, one of your followers, I'm assuming, responded that they saw Wolf at their town fair. And you kind of cleared that up with them wondering if it was Wolf from Gladiators, and it was. So today's icebreaker tangentially is, if we were all gladiators, what would our names be? So I'll pose it to you, James, first. What would your gladiator name be? Uh, talk about putting me on the spot. Um, do you know what, actually? This is a, my, my nickname growing up for, for many, many years was Danger. Okay. Um, a long story. I'm not going to go into it before <laughs> you listen to death. But um, I end up having a nickname. It started at uni. Um, my uni mates called me Danger for a very, very boring story. And then it, they end up changing my Facebook name to D- James Danger Jones when I wasn't looking. My mates in the pub saw it one day. I went in the pub one night. They were like, why, why the hell have you done that? I told them I'd been pranked. And then that name for, for the next maybe 10 years, I was Danger Jones for everyone my mates would even introduce me to people i didn't know as danger jones um so yeah danger that'd be my gladiator's name uh, that's quite a good one i'm actually surprised that there wasn't a gladiator called danger back in the day yeah um, and quite a nostalgic story i remember the times of people logging onto your facebook account and messing things up for you those are good times um i think for myself yeah. i'd be maybe not as scary maybe gerbil on the animal <laughs> note i'll stick with it because i'm a rather small fella quite nimble so gerbil let's say joe how about yourself yeah, I don't. I, it's it's a tough one. Um, yeah, maybe off off the top of that, Joe. Maybe maybe I go with Chunky for me. Not that I'm equating myself to you know sumo wrestler, but I've got a bit got a bit of meat on me. So yeah, Chunky. Why not? <laughs> well, James, I guess getting into the game. Um, what did you make of the starting eleven for West Ham before kickoff? Were there any surprises, or was that pretty much what you would expect? Yeah, it was, it was what we expected. Um, I think Antonio was always going to be be the man up top. Yarmolenko in the cup a couple of games ago showed that he could potentially deputise for him if, you know, I mean, I think it's more more a case of when rather than if he gets injured again. Um, but I think we all expected, particularly with four now, Ben Rama and Bowen in behind Antonio. I think that was what we were expecting. And the rest of the, the, the midfield and defence kind of picked themselves at the moment. So, yeah, we weren't really surprised. I guess if you weren't surprised about the lineup, were you a bit surprised at the attacking intent that you guys showed in the first half, considering that you had Antonio, Bowen, Fornals, and uh, Ben Rama on the pitch and didn't really get up to too much attacking? Massive, massive opportunity missed, really. Um, like you just have to look at the defence of Liverpool, they took like makeshift centre halves. Um, and that was you saw that and go right. Okay, this is our opportunity. If ever there's an opportunity to really make a statement, really you know put Liverpool under pressure and get three points against the champions, it was tonight. And 
for some reason, I mean, it even goes down. We got our first corner after half an hour and they played it short. And it was like, we're the most dangerous team in the Premier League at the moment from set pieces. And you played the ball short in your first corner. Um, so that was, yeah, it was frustrating. Uh, we had a few opportunities in the second half and then we scored from a, a set piece towards the end. But uh, massive opportunity missed, I think, from us tonight and a bit of reality check as well, I think. Yeah, no, I think there probably was a bit of a reality check. But given um, West Ham have been playing so well recently, what, why do you think, um, especially in the first half, that was it was quite flat? What do you think was the main problem? Do you, do you think it was a lack of belief? Was it sort of a bit of overthinking from the West Ham coaching side? I mean, yeah, why, do, for instance, why were they going short? Was it, yeah, what, what went wrong, essentially? I think it was a mixture of... I mean, I think the, the I think it was um, Gary Neville said that it looked as if they were they were a little bit um, nervous about playing Liverpool. And I think there maybe was an element of that. They've been so good up to this point um, that maybe it was a, like, a, okay, if we win tonight, if we beat the champions tonight, we can go fourth. Um, and it's, it's it's different when if we beat Crystal Palace tonight, we can go fourth. It was a completely different proposition for for the players tonight, and it might be a case of that. Um, I think maybe a case of particularly when it comes to that short corner, um, overconfidence, just trying to be a little bit too complicated. With, you know, we know we're dangerous when we put the ball in the box. So just put the ball in the box. And I think they just overcomplicated large parts of their play, um, which, you know, when you do you're playing like that against a team like Liverpool, you're going to get you're going to get um, bitten. And it's actually like Liverpool just basically punishes uh, us for that in the second half. Do you think any of that overconfidence might stem from... Well, essentially, your league position and the fact that do you think you have been overachieving so far? You look at the squad, you look at the bench, for instance, there wasn't a whole lot that you could look at off the bench to come on and really improve that team. You're kind mm. of, it's kind of the bare minimum that you're working with. And it's quite impressive that you're as far off the table as you are. You look at someone like Suchek without his goals, you might be five places further down, you know, 10 places further down the league. You never know. So do you think the players are kind of, not used to being so high up the table and maybe, yeah, overthinking things as Joe was getting, getting at? I think that potentially, um, I wouldn't go to say that they've gone to the point where they're a little bit complacent, a little bit cocky about things. David Moyes has, has done a great job in, in ensuring that that isn't the case within the squad. They've got really, really, um, the squad's like to get, is probably the most together I've seen a West Ham squad, probably since Bilic's first season, uh, that last season at Upson Park. Um, and then many, many years before that. Um, so in terms of in terms of being overconfident in that respect, I don't think it's the case. Uh, we have, I would say we have overachieved to an extent. Uh, if, like you've mentioned the, the lack of options. We've got such a, such a thin squad. If we get an injury to Rice or Suchek, it could go wrong very, very quickly. Um, so yeah, that, that's a problem. Um, and yeah, when you consider the fact that we, we are one, key injury away from crumbling we have overachieved but David Morris has got has, has instilled that mentality into the squad that I think that yeah okay we lost tonight and it wasn't our best performance but it was against the champions um, I think they will bounce back the last game we lost was against um, Chelsea uh, and then we went on an eight match unbeaten run so it's not for I don't think the players are gonna I don't think it'll, it'll hurt them too much I think they'll just bounce straight back yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think the nature of this season is 
anything can happen, quite frankly. Yeah. It almost feels like a sort of NBA season where there's a game every two to three days. So, you mean, you're, you, there's always a chance to bounce back. But obviously, in the first half, there wasn't too much to write home about. There was that sort of four nails chance that Robertson cleared off the line and Liverpool had the odd chance here and there. But then we go into the second half. Antonio has a big chance, whether or not you know it could have been disallowed later on, we don't know. But then a few minutes later, obviously, Mo Salah cuts in on his left foot and puts them 1-0 up. I mean, was that a bit of naivety there from Aaron Cresswell to let him in? Or do you think with a player like Salah, eventually he's just going to do that? Where, where do you stand on that first goal? Uh, potentially a bit of naivety. I mean, everyone knows Mohamed Salah. He's, he's smashed the Premier League for the last four years, three or four years. So particularly someone as experienced as Creswell should have known sort of how to deal with Mohamed Salah in that in that situation but Salah will Salah will still find a way to put the ball in the top corner he scores so many goals like that that um, I don't think we can really blame Creswell for it perhaps he could have showed him wide a little bit um, you know forcing him onto his left foot's not the best idea but um, Salah will score a goal like that every other game only so um Probably a little bit harsh to point the finger at Creswell. Back to the Antonio chance. Um, and as Joe mentioned as well, it might have been ruled out for a foul earlier in the move. Who knows? But assuming that if it had gone in, it would have stood. Where do you stand on Antonio? He's got the match winner in a past couple of games, but he's not a super technical footballer, I wouldn't say. And his finishing isn't maybe the most clinical. Um, you've got rid of Sebastian Allaire, who likewise maybe wasn't the best striker either. But you are not replaced him. You've got Lingard who's come in on loan. Where do you stand, as we mentioned earlier, that the squad's a bit thin with regards to, you know, Antonio as your out-and-out striker for the rest of the season? I will say on Haller before, before we move on to Antonio that that guy is a very, very good striker. He was just not played to his strengths. Um, we signed him without really knowing how to utilise him. Um, he was so good for Frankfurt playing in the front three. Um, with Rebic and uh, Jovic either side of him, um, you don't. He didn't have two players anywhere near the caliber of those players to play off um, or playing off him. So, and then like we spent a year or a year and a half just trying to lump balls up to the top, and he was completely isolated. And you know, some of the goals he scored for us were very, very good goals. But then towards the end of his West Ham career, like his confidence was shot because you see him just walking around the pitch. So I'm not surprised it didn't work out for him, but. Where Antonio's concerned, like we're so much better with him on the pitch. Um, I think every West Ham fan's just a little bit confused as to how he's become so important to us. Because whenever he's in possession of the ball, he never looks in control of the ball. Um, he never has done either for what seven years he's been at the club, five was maybe five, six years he's been at the club, never ever looked like a good footballer. Um, but somehow manages to he's almost, I think he's almost a top goal, uh, Premier League goal scorer ever. Um and he, but he, it's what he does off the ball that really gives us a lot, and he gets into those positions. And um, but we need someone to 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 be there when he gets injured again. I mentioned at the beginning, like it's not a case of if it, it's when he will get his hamstring will go again. Um, and he need he can't play three or four games on the bounce without you know having having a rest. So between what the next twenty four hours, I think it is we need to sign. We need to get a striker in. But there's a couple of youth strikers that show promise, but. It's a lot to ask for an 18-year-old striker to to come in and deputise in the Premier League, particularly when you're trying to chase a top six, top seven, top eight finish. So, um, so yeah, there's a lot to be done. 
But if we can coast it out between now and the summer, that will be our priority in the summer is, is, a, is a striker, maybe two. Yeah, like you said, Antonio is a cult hero. He's actually a brilliant footballer, but technically, yeah, perhaps not the best. It's interesting what you said about Hallelow, James, that he was kind of brought to the club with the club not really having the right system in place or not really knowing how to use him. It was interesting in the game, obviously, given how well Suchek's done and um, and um, the right back as well, Soufal, his mate from Czech Republic, um, that Martin Tarlino was praising Rest Ham's recruitment so much. And I mean, those two signings have been brilliant. I, I was just interested, is there, because I guess Suchek joined about a year ago now, has there been a, a change in focus of the recruitment department? Is it just a, a case of they got it wrong with Hilaire and they got it right with the others? How, how would you kind of attribute how they got it so wrong on the one hand and so right on the other hand with different players? I think West Ham's recruitment over the last 10 years under Golden Sullivan has been um, shambolic is one word I would use. Um, inconsistent is another. Um, stab in the dark, potluck. With occasional players, like we we don't, we've never really had a transfer strategy under the current ownership. But David Moyes has come in and he's quite clearly said, right, um, we're not going to throw forty, fifty million pound at a player unless we know he's definitely going to fit the system. He's even said, I'd rather look into the championship for for players. He's done that with Bowen, done that with Ben Rama. Um, Suchek was an absolute steal. Uh, we needed a player like him to to help Rice in midfield because Noble was running out of legs. Um, and really wasn't given as much alongside Rice. You know, he'd run around a lot and put in the old tackle, but you could tell he was losing that little bit of bite that he always always had. Um, and then when a player like Suchek goes, oh, my mate can play right back. It's a very Sunday, Sunday league style transfer, wasn't it? But um, it's worked out. And I think there's a little bit more confidence amongst fans that David Moyes knows what he's doing in the transfer window. I think if it was another manager in charge, we probably have already signed another striker. Um, and he probably wouldn't be fitting this, the system. Um, so, although we haven't signed a striker yet, I think I think there is a belief that the only reason why is because David Moyes isn't one hundred percent sure that who we can put potentially sign between now and the end of the transfer window isn't the long term signing. Um, so, yeah, the the feeling is that there has never been a transfer strategy, but David Moyes is beginning to change that. Just to hang on transfers quickly before we kind of move on to the rest of the game you've made some pretty big signings uh, over the past years you mentioned Moyes has kind of moved away from that a bit but the likes of um, Fornals was really highly rated when he arrived someone like Felipe Anderson likewise you got Chicharito not that long ago what obviously you're a London club a big club got the Olympic Stadium who knows if that's a good thing or a bad thing but you can clearly draw these players to the club, but then seemingly with some of them, once they get there, Fornals slowly has kind of picked it up. But for a lot of them, one reason or another, it doesn't work out. Without being disrespectful to West Ham, you mentioned, you know, Golden Sullivan and whatnot and their sort of tenure. Is the idea of West Ham better than the reality of West Ham? Do some of these players show up and then sort of go all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute, what's, you know, didn't think I was getting myself into this or that? I think a lot of it's down to the money we've been able to to give some of these players. Particularly after moving to the stadium, it was um, it didn't really work out for the first two years under Billich there, and we brought in Pellegrini and brought in his mate as director of football, which is the worst thing you can ever do is uh, bringing the director of football as the manager's best mate. Um, 
or close friend and it was is hundred million quid go and spend it and we've got all these wages to to throw at it and I think at the time after all the promises the board had made to the fans about you know European football in this new stadium and us you know never having to worry about relegation again and you know in five years ten years we're going to win the Premier League and all, all these promises of you know success and suddenly after two years it was we've, we've back with relegation twice and the manager's been sacked and David Moyes has had to come in and save us and it was probably a bit of desperation chucking 40 million quid at, uh, at Anderson who in uh, in flashes was a good player but lazy um, not suited to the Premier League at all um, like the likes of Chicharito, yeah, it was good until Moyes come in. And obviously, historically, those two don't get on from their time at Man United. So that was that was Chicharito out, out the door. And yeah, it has been a little bit um, more down to the fact that we can afford to pay 100 grand a week. Or we could then. I think they're a little bit more reluctant now, but we were happy throwing 100 grand a week at Anderson, 120 to, to Chicharito to try and improve the prospects on the pitch without there really being much thinking behind it. Um, so yeah, hopefully that's changing now. Well, it seems like it is. It seems like given some of the recent recruitment, plus even the fact there are no fans in the ground, seems to all of that added together seems to be working out for West Ham and David Moyes um, at the moment. But yeah, we'll just go back to the game. Just touch on Liverpool's second and third goals. Um, they were both pretty brilliant goals, in particular that second one. Um, obviously, amazing pass from Shakiri, great finish from Salah and that amazing first touch. Um, I guess... When those sort of goals are being scored, that one and Wijnaldum's as well, is, is there a certain thing where you just have to hold your hand up and go, you know, these these are just great? You, I mean, yeah, how, how do you how can you defend that really? I applauded that that Salah, the second Salah goal. It's like it's just like the ball from Shakiri's good, but the way Salah just brings it down and just just loops it, well, doesn't even loop it, just prods it past. Yeah, um, it was just class, world class, and. Um, when you're on on the other end of something like that, you just have to stand up and go, yeah, fair play, fair play. And then the third goal was just classic Liverpool. It was Liverpool of last season, wasn't it? It was the sort of goal that you would really expect them to score time and time again last year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we were already beaten by that point. I know we went and grabbed one at the end, but when that second goal goes in, you know, if I'm on that pitch as a West Ham player, I'm going, well, I mean, how'd you, how'd you beat a team in there? bringing goals out like that. So the only frustrating thing about that was the fact that it came from one of our corners. It was a counter-attack and um, it was a poorly taken corner. And um, and then, you know, we didn't anticipate that counter-attack well enough. Uh, we know how quickly we pull our on the counter. Um, but then you can't defend ball cross, cross-field balls like that or world-class finishes like that. So, yeah, it was, yeah, you, you can't do much about it. Was it... Cresswell, who does he take your corners? I, I don't. I watched the game, but I, I don't know if I remember. I think it, I think it was Bowen that took that corner. Um, Cresswell took the one that we scored in. Um, but normally, Bowen's on the pitch; he'll take them. I think he'd been subbed off by that point. And it, Bowen, he's like a, his delivery is usually pretty because obviously you've got these weapons. You've got um, Suchek, you've got Dawson at the minute. Um, is is Bowen the guy on set pieces? Is that the strategy? Yeah, yeah, he'd take the corners. Um, I think he's got three or a few assists from corners this season. Um, yeah, and it it put most of the balls into the box. Him and Creswell, uh, mainly the guys. It was just that one rubbish corner to the near post, easily cleared, and then you know we're caught on the break by the fastest player on the pitch and the second fastest player on the pitch. So I mean, it's just frustrating. 
I guess Bowen's one of these guys who's gone from strength to strength, kind of like um, Suchek and Sufal as well. Um, we'll see if Ben Rama can kind of live up to some of the, the hype from his Brentford time. Um, are you quite positive for the rest of the season with this? Obviously, today wasn't a super attacking day for, for West Ham, but you, like we were mentioning earlier, you've got these players. The transfer window's still open. Lingard's come in. Antonio seemingly is kind of on his own up front. We'll see if he gets some support, if someone can come in and help him. But I guess what are your thoughts for the rest of the season prospects-wise under Moyes? Can European football... Is that the aim, I guess, at this at this point in time? Things might look different in five games, but at this moment in time, is West Ham's aim to qualify for Europe? I think we've been mad not to not to start thinking about it. Um, I'm pretty sure Moyes won't won't want to talk about it or won't be telling the players to think about it. Um, and I think that's been the key this season for us. But I think the fans would be, given the way the season's gone so far and how tight it is in that top ten, um, it like you could lose a cup on Sunday attempt and win a cup and then bang your sixth again, sort of thing. So. We'd be mad not to start thinking about it, but I think tonight was a um, was a bit of a learning curve, a little bit of you know reality check in that. Yeah, okay, we've we've had a good season so far, but we're we're not still at, we're not yet at the level to be able to compete. Um, and I think if we're to get into Europe, we need to be at that level to compete. So um, I'd like I'd like to think that we can we should be able to finish in at least the top eight. Mm. Um, but I think. Given our given our record in uh, Europa League qualifiers against Astra, um, I'd like to. If we get into Europe, I'd rather just go straight into that group stage and yeah. just avoid playing Astra and or potentially playing Astra in the in the Europe and the qualifiers. But go straight into the group stage. But um, the, the, we're dreaming, but we're we're ca- we're just carefully dreaming because um, particularly well, fans will fans will know that. We normally come down on the Christmas decorations. So winning our first six games of this calendar year was all a little bit weird for us. We're like, hang on, normally we've lost the first six. Um, so yeah, may, may, maybe we can do it, but I'm not going to get carried away. Sure. And just on Moyes in general, from the West Ham kind of contingent of fans, he, since his unsuccessful time at Old Trafford, kind of has been a bit of a stopgap manager wherever he's been. Is he still that same, you know, he's been at West Ham for a little while now. He helped you out last season to avoid relegation. And likewise, this season, it's not really looking like a concern relegation. But how is that essentially all you can hope for from Moyes is kind of like not getting relegated? <laughs> um, that was the feeling when he came back for his second spell and fans were like, really? We're just going to go back to Moyes and he's going to keep us up and then what limit we're going to struggle again next year. You know, he's not the manager to take us forward, but he's proved us wrong. I think he felt, particularly in his first spell when he kept us up the first time, that he felt that all he needed was, you know, a summer transfer window and a little bit longer to really do something with this. He felt like there was a lot of promise within the squad and he wasn't allowed that. Pellegrini came in and, and did all right and then it all went wrong. Um, but he's come back and proved everyone wrong again. And he deserved the chance to go into this second season with a plan, um, with a strategy, a little bit of time um, and the backing from the board to bring in the players that he wants uh, and the coaching staff that he wants. And he's he's showing some early signs that it's not going to be like that. Um, David Moyes isn't going to be the guy that's just saving us from relegation for the next few years. It feels like it's going to be a little bit more than that. Um, it, it might. It doesn't mean to say we're going to be challenging for the top six every season, but it just means that we're not going to be looking over our shoulder. I think, and once you get three or four years of stability, 
and then you can start thinking about okay where's the next step um whether that next step will involve david moore i don't know but i think he's the man to really establish us at least in the mid table and then we can start thinking about pushing on from there yeah i mean it's been a real redemption season for David Moyes. I don't think many people saw it coming, but I guess you you look back to his time at Everton when he was successful and already I know there's all the Fellaini Suchek comparisons or Moyes says he's more like Cahill, but yeah, maybe maybe this is going to be more of an Everton style um spell for Moyes and just yeah, having that time to really um implement his mark on the squad could be um could be a good thing. But um as we look ahead to this next week and obviously the, the matches keep coming, um in midweek, it's a big game at Villa Park for West Ham um, against Aston Villa. And then on the weekend, it's a London derby, if you want to call it that, against Fulham um, at Craven Cottage. So, obviously, the Villa game is going to be tough. The Fulham game, you probably expect more. I mean, what would be a good week for West Ham now? How many points do you want out of those two games? At least four. Um, I think you're right. I think Villa is going to be a difficult, difficult game. They've been, they've got a couple of games around us as well. So, I mean, I think if they win both of those, they they can go above us into the top five, I think top six. So that's going to be a very difficult game for us. But the Fulham game, we, we would, you would, I mean, they've been all right recently. They've, they've picked it up. Their performance has been pretty good. They're just struggling to get three points. They've drawn quite a lot. But, you know, tonight we've lost to Liverpool. But realistically, it's games against the likes of Villa in and around us that we're going to need to, be, to get points from this season if we're going to achieve what we want to achieve. Um, we're not going to finish, you know, we're not going to compete against Liverpool in the Premier League. It's going to be the likes of Everton, Leicester, Villa, those teams in and around us. Um, and then, you know, beating Fulham or, or getting getting something at Fulham will, will be good. But I think four points out of two is an absolute minimum. I know a lot of fans will be looking at six, given the fact that we've just dropped points tonight. But... Um, just got to try and be a little bit more realistic. Mm. Yeah, that Villa game, the battle of kind of claret and blue teams is going to be a tight one. And then the the Fulham one, yeah, hopefully you guys can get one over on Scott Parker, your former player. We'll see about that. I think as far as the game, what, Craig Dawson, we kind of wrapped it up. He had that consolation gold. I don't know how much we need to talk about that, but maybe we can give some credit to Craig. He's sort of worked his way into the team recently. How's that happened? You've got Is- Issa Diop, Balbuena, um, especially Diop in terms of at one point was looking really good. I remember Manchester United were linked with him and you paid a decent fee for him and he was highly rated when he left France. Another one of these signings that might still come good eventually, but seemingly hasn't worked out. How does Craig Dawson kind of become a key component of of West Ham's side? He was what, signed from Watford after they got relegated last season, I think? Yeah, uh, we got him in on loan and he's still on loan now. I think it looks like we might, bring him, might make it a permanent deal. Um, but when we signed him, it was like towards the end of the window. It was like, why have we brought, we've got like five centre-backs. Why have we brought him in? Um, and then he waited, what, four or five months for his debut. And then um, a couple of injury, injuries forced him in. And then he played, I think, his first four games, we didn't concede a goal. Um, won three, drew one. And suddenly he's the, he's the best centre-back we've got at the club. And um, he's always got three goals for us in like, nine appearances, I think it is. And he's yeah, he's just been he's been solid. You know, I don't think he's he's had a bad game for us. He's proven that you know um, experience. Yeah, okay, he got relegated last year, but it's bags of experience in the Premier League with the likes of West Brom as well and and Watford. So it is a bit of a surprise that he's ahead of the likes of Balbuena and, and Issa Diop. 
it's a deal that's been terribly unlucky. He was he started the season alongside Ogbonna, caught COVID. Um, Balbuena came in, kept his place. Balbuena had a couple of bags. I think I think Balbuena got injured. Issa Diop was injured at the time, so Craig Dawson comes in. So he's been so so unlucky, Issa. But I, I think that he is he's got it. He's got, he's good enough to be a Premier League centre half. He just needs a run of games. He played. He, he came in against um, I think it was Villa, no Palace, I think it was, and he was at fault for Palace's opening goal. Um, because he was too far off Benteke, he just you know he was too rusty and played for months. So um, with the run of games, he can get back in the team, but um, he's got to dislodge Ogbonner and and uh, Dawson because Ogbonner's been just our best centre half the last five years, I think. Yeah, Ogbonner's a good player. I remember him from his time at Juventus. He's got good pedigree, and even for the Italian national side, he had a bit of a spell a while back. Um, but yeah, this West Ham side definitely this season has kind of pleasantly surprised me i'm a neutral so i don't really have anything to, to against them but they've won me over i'd say with some of the players like bowen ben rama we'll see like i was saying he hasn't necessarily produced it yet but they're a bit easier on the eye someone like suchek with the grit declan rice we were chatting about him the other day on the podcast what a player he is so mm. quite promising at the minute today aside that probably does just about wrap it up so thank you to joe my co-host as, as always and then an extra special thank you to james for joining us yeah, cheers, James, for, for being our guest today. We hope you enjoyed yourself. Thanks for having me, guys. No, pleasure. Our listeners, how can they follow you and keep up to date with everything you've got going on? So, yeah, you can, you can if there's any West Ham fans listening, you can catch us at uh, the We Are West Ham podcast. We're on all the major platforms, uh, also on YouTube. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at ByJamesJones. Um, I don't. I, I haven't tweeted as often as as I would normally, but um, occasionally you might find me moaning about West Ham on there. Well, there you go. It's quality, not quantity. Anyway, so go ahead and follow James. And then, as far as our end of things, please give us a follow as well: Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. It's at United Mates FP. And if you want to watch these videos on YouTube, look for the United Mates Football Podcast. Until next time, everyone. That's all we have time for today. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Goodbye.